Autoimmune disease currently affects over 23 million Americans, and this number is rising dramatically, especially among those of us over 50. But what exactly is autoimmune disease, and what are the causes? And more importantly, what can we do to prevent, treat, and heal autoimmune disorders? If you're someone who has or is dealing with an autoimmune disease, or if you know someone who is, stick around. We're going to answer all your autoimmune-related questions. Hello, and welcome to the Over 50 Health and Wellness Show. I'm your host, Kevin English. I'm the founder of The Silver Edge, and our mission is to help you build and maintain a lean, healthy body that you love for the rest of your life, so that you can show up in life as the healthiest, strongest, most vital version of yourself. We have a great show for you today. Dr. Akil Palinsamy is here, and he's going to help us prevent and reverse autoimmune disease. But before we get to that, I want to let you know that this episode is brought to you by The Silver Edge. The Silver Edge is my online nutrition, exercise, and lifestyle coaching business catering to those of you over 50 who aren't ready to give up and buy into the common narrative of it's all downhill from here. At The Silver Edge, we take a health-first approach to working with clients to help them build lean, strong, vital bodies that last. Look, there's no shortage of lose weight quick coaches in the world, but here's the deal. You can either lose weight quickly or permanently. So if you're tired of losing and gaining the same weight over and over again, if you're tired of constantly dieting, if you have a poor relationship with food, exercise, and your body, then I invite you to book a call and see if our services are a good fit for you. The easiest way to do this is to head over to silveredgefitness.com and click on the coaching tab or just shoot me an email at coach at silveredgefitness.com. Okay, enough of that. Let's get on with today's show. My guest today is Dr. Akil. Dr. Akil is a Harvard-trained physician, a well-known speaker and educator, and he's an author. His latest book, which is titled The Tiger Protocol, an integrative five-step program to treat and heal your autoimmunity, has just released this week. Join us today as Dr. Akil takes us on a deep dive into the waters of autoimmunity, explaining what it is, what the main causes are, and most importantly, the steps we can take now to treat and heal autoimmune disorders. I started our interview by asking Dr. Akil how he got interested in medicine and eventually autoimmunity. So I started out very much skeptical about integrative and holistic medicine. You know, I was studying biochemistry at Harvard, kind of the bastion of conservative science, and fell in love with science and wanted to help people. That's what attracted me to medicine. And then I started medical school at UCSF in San Francisco. But a couple years into my training, I developed this mystery illness that Western medicine could not really help me with. You know, I had chronic pain, weight loss, fatigue, and I could not really sit up. I could not use a computer. And I had to actually stop my medical training because the conventional treatment like physical therapy and anti-inflammatories was not really working. So I took a year off and I had to explore alternatives. So I sought out Ayurveda, which is a traditional medicine from India, other, you know, integrative medicine approaches. And that was really the key to turning my health around. And so I decided I wanted to get trained in integrative medicine and, and help my patients with that approach. Okay. That's quite a story there. So you were actually studying medicine got mm-hmm. ill and the very medicine, I, I suppose <clears throat> traditional Western medicine, right? Wasn't right. able to quote unquote cure you or, or help mm-hmm. you much there. And that caused you to take some time off and do a little exploring. And you mentioned a couple of terms there. I'd, I'd love <clears throat> to talk a little bit more. Let's, let's start with mm-hmm. Ayurveda. Yeah. What is that and how does that have an impact on what you do today? Yeah. So Ayurveda is the traditional medicine of India. It's a system that's a few thousand years old, and it really emphasizes a few things. One is diet, that food is medicine, and then the mind-body connection. So they're the role of stress. And in terms of treatments, Ayurveda recommends you know using food and then spices. It's a big aspect of Ayurveda, really medicinal. That's a big focus of my book, teaching people how to cook with spices, how to use them for all of their 
benefits. And then also they prescribe herbs and supplements. So Ayurveda is a, a kind of influencing my approach. So it's one of the, the tools that I use to help help people. Fantastic. And I think most of the folks listening to this show certainly are going, that's going to resonate with them, the whole message. Yep. Food is medicine, mind-body yes. connection, all of those things. Might have, might have surprised a few people when you mentioned spices and some of the herbs. I think that these right. are often very overlooked treatment modalities. Mm -hmm. We'll get there. I'm getting ahead yes. of myself. All right. Yep. So the other thing you mentioned that you were in this mission of discovery for yourself was mm -hmm. integrative medicine. Yep. Talk to us, what is integrative medicine? <laughs> Yeah. So integrative medicine integrates conventional and alternative therapies. So it includes things like, of course, all of the Western medical tools and medications, but also other approaches like using herbal medicine, using Ayurveda, using acupuncture or Chinese medicine. And now we have a fellowship for physicians in integrative medicine at the University of Arizona with Andrew Weil. And so I completed that fellowship and integrative medicine just gives physicians a lot more tools to to use to help people achieve wellness and overall longevity. Gotcha. And I, I love that, that you're talking about the, we're obviously going to dig into some alternative therapies and things. How then does integrative medicine differ from what folks might experience in conventional medicine or conventional medical yes. system? Yeah. So in the conventional medical system, you know, we are very good at treating acute illnesses. We're very good at suppressing sim symptoms. And so that is some that is life saving, you know, in autoimmune diseases, you sometimes need this powerful drugs, powerful medications, but conventional medicine does not do much to address the root causes. So once that acute phase is taken care of, the flare up is taken care of, then there's not much offered, but that's where integrative medicine comes in, you know, looking at all the root causes for what drove that flare up in the first place, you know, what can be done for prevention, what can be done for healthy aging and longevity and those kind of things. Okay, right. And I, again, I think most of my audience then is going to have a little bit of background there. We talk a good bit about yes. conventional medicine and functional medicine, integrative medicine, things of that nature, right? And right. just you're very interested in that root cause. And mm -hmm. I've asked other guests this, and I'll ask you, do you feel like the tide is turning in that direction in the medical community at large? Are we moving that mm -hmm. direction, more seeking this integrative, holistic approach, or is still mm -hmm. kind of the stamp, you know, what are kids these days learning in medical school and right. what is it going to take mm -hmm. to get to this more holistic view of us as patients? Yes, I think there is change. It's very slow because medicine is a conservative profession. So it's like you're trying to turn this big ship around, you know, it's very slow, but there are signs of hope in medical schools. Now there's little more training on nutrition. There's some discussion about lifestyle and the mind-body connection. Certain schools are taking the lead in that. Like at UCSF, they have a center for integrative medicine now doing research and teaching. And so slowly medical education is shifting and that's what we need to kind of change the, the future of physicians and medicine. Well, that's certainly encouraging. And it just occurs to me as you're saying that, what's my role or our role as lay people, as patients, as people that are either battling chronic illnesses or autoimmune disorders, things that are not acute? What, what mm -hmm. is our role? How can we help turn this tide? Yeah. So I think the the public has already done a lot by really demanding this type of care. You know, there that has really has been clear. And I think some of the change within medicine is responding to that demand. So I think continuing to express preferences for like more more holistic approaches, talking, asking questions about diet and lifestyle, you know, of your doctors, that will just continue showing that demand, which is helping to drive some of the change. And I've also asked this question of other medical folks, and I'd love to get your opinion on it as well. But do you feel like, like there's resistance to this sort of change from the financial machinery of big medical, mm -hmm. big, big food, big pharma, all of this, where there's a financial interest in say, I mean, a lifetime customer that is going to mm -hmm. buy my prescription medicine is sounds right. pretty good from a financial standpoint. Yes. Do you feel like there's resistance there? Are you fighting against that or not so much? Is that just maybe that's a little tinfoil hat-ish? 
No, you're right. There is some resistance there. And I think, you know, partly it's the healthcare system. We're very focused on disease management and not as much on prevention and being proactive. But the thing is that many of these integrative therapies are very cost effective. And that's what I think we have to show, you know, healthcare systems and insurance plans that they will save money in the long run by helping prevent some of these severe diseases and taking a more proactive approach through integrative medicine. So those studies are being done in terms of like the health economics, but a lot of these approaches are very cost effective. Yeah, I, I love that term health economics. And I suppose you're right. I, certainly, I, I had thought about it, but insurance companies could be a great yep. ally here that they've yes. got a lot of, they have a lot of influence and sway and they have a very big mm -hmm. financial stake in us being healthier because it's right. healthier for their bottom lines, frankly. Yes. Whereas it, you know, maybe not so much with say big pharma, who's got more of a mm. financial incentive mm -hmm. to prescribe right. pills. Mm -hmm. Now that brings me to kind of my next question is, I think some of the resistance may be some of that financial machinery you were talking about, but I think a lot yeah. of it probably comes from us, right? Mm -hmm. If not being very sophisticated, if I'm say overweight, pre-diabetic, have bad cholesterol and high blood pressure, mm -hmm. and my doctor says, here, take these and my insurance pays for it. Yep. I am by thinking, okay, I'm cured, I'm better, and I've done something very easy, mm -hmm. as opposed to what you and I are getting ready to discuss, I suspect, is going to be these, well, no, I'm talking about making permanent lifestyle changes. I'm talking about mm -hmm. changing the way you eat, changing the way you move, changing the way you rest and recover, et cetera. Is, mm -hmm. is that fair, do you think? That, I mean, clearly we mm -hmm. have some of that falls on us. We can't just yes. expect a pill and expect a healthy right. life. Yeah. Yeah, you're totally right. I think it is a mindset issue because we've been kind of trained to just seek out the silver bullet or the magic pill and then just keep, you know, going on with our lives, but I think we need to keep that in mind that that is not the ideal way to to approach health and wellness and we need to really take responsibility for the things we can do to improve our health. I thank you for that. I think that sets the stage for what we want to talk about here today. So mm -hmm. you talk a lot about autoimmunity. You wrote this new book. It's called The Tiger yep. Protocol, an integrative five-step program to treat and heal your autoimmunity. So let's let's dig into it. What the heck mm -hmm. is autoimmunity? Yes. So yeah, I'm really glad that we're talking about this for older adults, because what is not well known is that among adults over 50, autoimmune disease is the fastest growing category of disease and increasingly affecting adults in their 50s and beyond. And I think one of the key reasons is that inflammation, you know, low-grade inflammation, we know that there's some normal increase in that in older people. But then with, with all chronic diseases, not just autoimmune disease, but heart disease, diabetes, dementia, that chronic inflammation is the root cause. And the immune system, as it gets older, is associated with that chronic inflammation. There's even a term now in the medical literature called inflammaging, which is combining inflammation and aging. And so scientists are really researching that correlation because low-rate inflammation, aging kind of go together. And that's part of the reason why there's an explosion in autoimmune disease in older people. Very interesting. Okay. Now you had, I haven't heard that inflammaging. Now yes. we know there are terms like sarcopenia. That's the age related right. muscle loss, osteopenia. That's the age related bone density decrease. We know that our things like metabolism slow as we age. There are studies now that are showing things like the muscle loss and the bone density and metabolism slowing are so mm -hmm. much a function of aging as they are of lifestyle. In other words, we have control over how much or how fast these things are occurring. Is that mm -hmm. the same when it comes to chronic inflammation? You had mentioned if some inflammation is normal as we age or increasing inflammation. Mm -hmm. Is this something we can greatly control or is this something that's just inevitable as we age or some combination? Oh, I don't think it's in inevitable. Yeah, I think there's a lot that can be done to optimize the immune system. And I think that's really critical as we get older, because we do know with aging, there is some normal decline in efficacy of the immune system. So it becomes less capable of defending against infections and illnesses that is kind of is kind of normal. There is some reduction there. And that's one of the reasons why there's more inflammation is because if your body's less effective at 
tackling infections, they can kind of smolder and cause inflammation. Given that, I think all of these things that we're going to talk about are really helpful for optimizing and boosting your immune system. And that works even at any age. So I I don't believe it's inevitable. Okay. Effective at any age. I I figured, I was hoping you would go there, right? All right. Fantastic. Okay. So let's just talk a little bit about common symptoms. How would I know if I've got some of these autoimmune issues happening? Yeah, great question. And, you know, studies show that it takes about four years and five doctor visits before a patient gets diagnosed wow. with autoimmune disease, because, you know, the there are over 100 different types of autoimmune disease, even though the mechanism that un- underlies all of them is the same, the same five things in my protocol that is just how the immune system gets out of work. But it really it can affect any organ system. And then because medicine is very specialized, you end up getting referred to that specialist. So if the final attack is on your gut and you have autoimmune bowel disease, you see a GI doctor. If it's in your joints, you get referred to a rheumatologist. If it's in your brain, like multiple sclerosis, you go to a neurologist. So you do need to do some advocacy and and push your, your doctors to come to the final diagnosis because many times that's a slow process. Well, that's a scary stat you threw out yes. there. You started by saying it's for most people, it's four years, five doctor visits before right. you're diagnosed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you also mentioned there are, what did you say, a hundred, over a hundred different, different types, types of autoimmune disorders. Holy moly. And yep. what are some of the more common things that, that we're seeing yeah. right now? Yeah. So some of the more common ones are there's multiple sclerosis, rheumatoid arthritis, lupus, there's skin issues like psoriasis and eczema. And then there's bowel diseases like inflammatory bowel disease. Even IBS, irritable bowel syndrome, is being shown to have an autoimmune component. And then there are those that are a little bit less common, like polymyalgia rheumatica and dermatomyositis. But, you know, starting with your doctor, if you're noticing any symptoms is is the best way to kind of get evaluated. <laughs> but you're going to have to push that doctor. Yes, exactly. You know, yeah, you yeah. don't want to, you don't want right. to go through. And I think, yeah. I, I mean, I, as you're saying that I can think in my own life, I know people who have mm-hmm. had that exact same experience, right? right? Doctor, doctor, I still don't feel good. I'm just not digesting this. I'm getting these rashes. These weird things are happening. Nobody can figure out what's wrong. Mm -hmm. Boom. You have lupus or you have, you know, there's something, right? Okay. Well, what's the cause? What, what causes is there? I mean, you had mentioned there's a lot Mm -hmm. of different autoimmune diseases. Is there a common cause or common causes that are the biggest offenders? Yes. So I think that the the five causes that I believe are key for the explosion in autoimmune disease are also the same things that can help prevent autoimmune disease. So those are toxins. There's been a real rise in environmental toxins that we're all exposed to. And that's why teaching people how to detox is a big part of my approach. And then with eye or infections, there's a rise in a lot of different drug-resistant you know, microbes and with antibiotic resistance and other things. And then G is gut health. So that's the root cause for most systemic diseases and the gut regulates your inflammation and your immune system. So there's a lot of decline in, in gut health that we're seeing ac- across the board, you know, children, adults, older adults. And then E is eating and the diet. So I think our food supply has really declined a lot in quality and with increase in you know sugar and processed foods and all these things that are harmful for the immune system. So food is definitely a part of it. And then the final factor is R, which is rest or, or the, the mind-body connection. So stress is, a, is a, a key factor. And we have this perfect storm of all of these five factors getting worse. And I think that's why we're seeing a big rise in chronic disease and autoimmune disease. And we are seeing a big rise in this, right? I, I think even a yes. generation or so ago, the, mm-hmm. you know, things like celiacs and all these yes. sensitivities and allergies, they, did, they just didn't exist. And here yes. they are full-blown and getting mm-hmm. momentum. So right. and for those of you that were paying attention here, the book is mm-hmm. called The Tiger Protocol. Yeah. And we had T for toxins, I for infections, G for gut health, E for eat right, and R for rest. 
Mm-hmm. We're going to come back to those in just a minute because what I'd like to do is just have you expand on each one of those a little bit. But yeah. before we go there, because I, I want to dig in and, and figure out what's the problem and then what can we do about each of those. But mm-hmm. what are some conventional treatments? So if I go to the doctor today and I've got one of these autoimmune mm-hmm. disorders, what's going to happen? What's yeah. likely to happen? So, so you'll be prescribed a medication to slow down the immune system, which yeah. can be necessary. You know, the, those can be life-saving. So it could be a steroid like a prednisone, or it could be a injected medication that works on the immune system to suppress it. And those are often necessary. Our, our entire goal is try to, you know, use integrative medicine to minimize the need, minimize the dosages, maybe minimize the number of different medications. So we're not rejecting medications, they have their role, but we want to try to minimize them so that when they're really needed, they work better. Okay. And so is it fair to say, just from a very, very simplistic standpoint, Mm -hmm. that if I've got an autoimmune disorder, that basically I've got an immune system that's out of balance, it's doing things that are Mm -hmm. not optimal, that I think most commonly the way it's explained is that your immune system is attacking things it shouldn't attack. We want it to attack the bad things, but we don't want it to do all this collateral damage to the things around it. Is is that a fair way of saying it? Or what's happening when we have Mm -hmm. these disorders? That's exactly what's happening. Yeah. So there's a couple of mechanisms. One is called molecular mimicry. And what that means is that your immune system gets a little bit confused because some of these viruses or bacteria, they have proteins that resemble our human proteins. So just to give an example, there with the multiple sclerosis, there's a a common virus called Epstein-Barr virus that the surface of it resembles the myelin sheath on our nerve cells. So when the immune system attacks that virus, then it, it the same antibodies can attack your nervous system. So that's the molecular mimicry. And then the second is what's called the bystander effect, which is that when your immune system is attacking these, say, inflamed or infected cells, then the surrounding damage like to the other tissues causes inflammation. And that is another way autoimmune disease occurs. Okay. Yeah. So some of that molecular mimicry, you called it, and that bystander effect, that collateral (laughs) damage sort of thing. Okay. So that's, that's what's going on. And the way that's commonly treated today is going to be more the steroids or the pills or whatever is going to treat those symptoms, which will in fact Mm -hmm. make the symptoms better, but it's doing nothing to your point to go back to that root cause. Right. All right. So with that being the case, then let's start with T with Mm -hmm. toxins and I, is it fair to say that, the, I think I may have read this in your book, in fact, that are, mm-hmm. these are in fact rated in order of of criticality or importance? Is that right? Yes. So T, toxins, yeah. it's intentionally at yes. the top of this list. Let's right. talk about toxins. Where are all these toxins? What are they? And then we'll get into mm-hmm. what can we do to mitigate? Yeah. So with toxins, I'm not talking about what most people think of as, you know, smoking or alcohol or things like that. I'm talking about these 40,000 chemicals that are in use in the U.S. that are, it's chronic low-level exposure to, for all of us in our water, food, air, and other other avenues. So in the book, I review 20 different environmental toxins that are associated with increased risk of autoimmunity. And studies show the average person, child, or adult has about 200 toxins in their body. So these are just everywhere. So the goal is not to like live in a sterile world that's toxin-free. That's impossible. The goal is just reduce our exposure to toxins, take practical strategies to do that, and then increase your detox capacity, which your body does have intrinsically to help it to better clear out these toxins. So that way we're kind of shifting the balance and you don't need to be 100% toxin-free, but going in this direction I've seen really helps my patients and helps people feel better and help their chronic conditions. Okay. So kind of scary stuff here because we are, we're in a, our environment is just surrounded by these toxins and it's not just so much the pollution coming out of the smokestack at the factory down the street, or maybe even the things that are in your drinking water, those clearly that that's it, but it's, Mm These things are everywhere. They're in our, they're in our kitchen. They're in our bathroom. They're in our, talk to us a little bit about where these toxins are that maybe somebody who's not as up to speed on this might, might not even suspect they are. 
Yeah, so I think it's exactly right. So basic things to start with are filtering the drinking water. So I think that is that is very important. And then eating organic whenever possible, because that reduces your pesticide exposure. But a couple of other things that people don't realize. So indoor air can sometimes be even more polluted than outdoor air. And that's because of all of the like home chemicals, all of the off-gassing, all of the cleaning products. So, so really trying to green those, those chemicals that you're using at home would be important. And then the other thing is personal care products, things like your makeup, your lotion, your shampoo, like all of these things are, can be subtle exposures to toxins that also now there are a lot of resources how to find good alternatives, good options, but personal care products can be an important category. Okay. So, and, and I've heard people on social social media, very smart people say mm -hmm. they're kind of poo-pooing, oh, their deodorant's not hurting you. The amount of, of you know, right. toxin in that is so tiny. But I think that you and I might make the case that, okay, I, I agree, mm -hmm. probably the amount of aluminum or whatever's in, whatever's mm -hmm. bad in, say, right guard or whatever mm -hmm. right. deodorant there is out there, probably by itself might not be horrible. Mm -hmm. It's not optimal, but yeah. I think that there's this compounding effect that, okay, there's some yes. things in some phthalates in my cologne. There's some other chemical goo mm -hmm. in my shampoo. There's something mm -hmm. in my, you know, those of us over 50, we probably, yep. we had dial soap and lava soap and right. <laughs> yeah. spraying all these things mm -hmm. that, with these scents and these fragrances. And then yep. we go to our laundry and we're using these harsh detergents in our kitchen. We have these Teflons mm -hmm. and these plastics. And yep. there's this, what did you call it? You, you said it was a chronic low level exposure, right? Yes. Right. And there's also this mixture of all the mm -hmm. You said there's 40,000 different chemicals in use in the U.S. And if we're exposed to this, I don't think we can possibly know what the, all the yeah. different combinations of these things can do to us. And I suppose that has to have a big impact, on, obviously, on our health and our, our immune system. But mm -hmm. I think that as we live these lives with more and more of these chemicals, that has to be contributing to our overall, overall decline health. Is that fair? Oh, yes, absolutely. And in fact, now there are studies looking at the synergy between toxins, because right. that is, that's what's going on in our bodies. And it appears that the combinations of toxins are they're they're synergistic in terms of like more inflammation, and there are interactions there. And so even though like, like you said, you know, a low level of one toxin is probably manageable by the body, it's when we have these multiple exposures over time, they, they build up and they have a synergy logistic effect. Okay. So you said we want to reduce exposure and we want to increase our detox capabilities. Let's, yes. I want to stick on the reduce exposure for a minute. Mm -hmm. What are some, what are some big blocks? What are some things that listeners can do today to take action? Cause this all sounds very scary. Well, there's chemicals yeah. and everything. What, you know, right. where do I start? And as yes. opposed to being overwhelmed, what are a couple of easy things we can do to get started today? Yeah. So I think with the water, you know, getting a, a good countertop water pitcher to start filtering the water is a, a good first step. I think with, let's take the example of mercury, it's often in certain seafood, like larger fish. So I advise people to choose the, what are called smash fish, which is salmon, mackerel, anchovies, sardines, and, and herring. So those are pretty safe and much higher in those beneficial omega-3s, and you're avoiding the, the mercury. Uh, I think that for the home, I recommend you know, greening the household chemicals, looking at your personal care products, and then getting some plants because plants, you know, filter the air. You can consider an air purifier if you want, but house plants work well. That they're, they're being studied for that. Uh, and then one tip about the house is shoes have actually been shown to carry heavy metals and bad bacteria and pesticides, you know, from the outside environment. So leaving shoes at the door and not tracking them through the whole house actually has been shown to reduce toxin levels. So a lot of these things are no cost, but, you know, simple and effective. Fantastic. I know in my own life, as I've gone on this kind of detox journey, I started maybe five something years oh. ago and became aware of, of these things and almost drove myself nuts trying to mm. find every single one because there's flame retardants in your, mm -hmm. in your bedding and in your mattress and in your sofa. It's just, it's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. It's a rabbit hole. But there's a website, Environmental Working Group. It's EWG, 
dot org maybe mm-hmm. something right like google it it'll yeah. pop up but they have a they have a really handy app and one of the yep. nice things they do is they rate basically every consumer product known to man on like a mm-hmm. green yellow red so if you're yes. looking at your makeup or your toothpaste or yep. you know a cleaning product or anything really you could put it in there put the brand name in there mm-hmm. and it'll pop up a rating and i to my knowledge they're not <laughs> you know yeah. big, big car Big cosmetic yeah. companies aren't paying them right. money. So no, they're, no, they're a yeah, nonprofit. Right. Yeah. They are a nonprofit. Yeah. Yes. So that that's one place you can start. Yep. Okay. Thank you for yes. that. Now let's move on to you said that we can do two things in the in regards to toxins. We can decrease our toxic load. We just addressed that a little bit. You also said we can increase our detox abilities. How do mm-hmm. we do that? Yeah. So with that, I, I'm not a fan of what you see online, which are the different cleanses that are extreme or juice cleanses or all, all those things. You know, I think we need to take a step back and look at the basics. And there are four things I, I like to recommend. So one is hydration. So drinking plenty of water is critical because your kidneys need that to filter your blood. Second is digestion, because the main way your body clears toxins is your liver packages them and puts them into your intestine. And then through your bowel movements, they are expelled. So if you're not having regular bowel movements or, you know, dealing with constipation, then that is really blocking your detox capacity. So important to pay attention to gut health for that reason. Third is lymphatic system. So this is a system of vessels in your body that's crucial for your all your immune cells. And also it's one of the ways your body removes toxins through the lymph or lymphatic. And some ways you can support that are dry skin brushing, where you, you're just brushing your skin with a special kind of brush that is very good for moving lymph. And um, also yoga or exercise are good as well for moving the lymphatics. So keeping that going is important. And then the the fourth thing I like to emphasize is sweating. So whether it be in exercise or in a sauna or hot bath, the research has shown that sweating is a very effective way to clear toxins that can't be cleared through the urine or through the liver. Uh, and that's, that's why, you know, I, I'm a big fan of using a sauna because a lot of research on longevity and reduced risk of heart disease and also detoxification that occurs in the sauna. Okay. Thank you for sharing that. I absolutely love that. So folks, let's just recap here to reduce our exposure to some of these toxins. We've already talked about that. I I strongly recommend looking at EWG and just kind of looking Mm -hmm. around, pick one place. I I think the the bathroom is a great place to start. Look at your deodorant, look at your ladies, look at your makeup, guys, look at your, the shampoo and soaps that you're using, fragrances, Mm -hmm. things of that nature. That's one way. And then you had mentioned hydrate, love to talk about hydrate. You guys know we want to drink half your body weight in ounces of purified mm-hmm. water every day, preferably not in plastic. Um, yes, right. You had mentioned digestion. I'm going to put a pin in that because we're going to come back to that here in the gut health issue, I suspect. Mm. Lymphatic system is something that we haven't talked about on this show, but I've reached out to a couple of lymph experts, lymphatic experts, mm. if you will, because I, I want to do a whole show just mm-hmm. on lymphatic mm-hmm. system. But mm-hmm. you had mentioned dry brushing. People may not be familiar with that, but that is a wonderful experience as well as a very healthy thing to do to get lymph moving Mm -hmm. as well as of course the movement that you had talked about which we talk about all the time on this show let's let's move people let's do do our exercise and then finally sweat through either exercise or sauna so those are some Mm -hmm. practices we could do to kind of help with our toxic load right so moving on from the t then we go to i and the eyes infection talk to us a little bit about infection Yeah. So with infections, you know, my approach is let's make your body inhospitable to infections so that your immune system can work better rather than focusing on the bug. We have a little bit too much emphasis on that in Western medicine, like finding the germ, finding the right antibiotic and killing it and so forth. You know, I think it's, it's better to focus on the what's called the terrain, which is the internal environment of the body and making that inhospitable to bad bacteria, yeast, fungi, parasites, and so forth. And one way you can do that is actually with optimizing the pH of the intestine. So the intestine has to be pretty acidic in order to minimize the growth of pathogens of all types. And so doing that through like uh, fermented foods and through certain fibers is a really good way to, to address infections. 
Okay. Is it fair to say that we're getting ready to talk about fiber and fermented yeah. foods? And then, I, okay. So we're going to, we're going to leave a, put a pin in that, but I love the idea of making my body inhospitable mm-hmm. to germs as opposed to waiting for bad things to happen. And then of course, right. triaging that. Are there some things I can do to make my body inhospitable outside of gut issues? Oh, yes. I think adding more spices into the the diet is very powerful because in Ayurveda, spices are considered antimicrobial medicine that they are, you know, very powerful in that role. And this involves things, you know, not turmeric, garlic, ginger, cinnamon, but in the book, I talk about less common spices like black cumin and ajwain and fenugreek and things you can find in, you know, Asian grocery stores. But adding spices makes your food taste better. It reduces inflammation, it combats infections, and I think they're underutilized. Okay, fantastic. And when it comes to spices, what are we looking for as consumers of spices? Just the the kind on the grocery store, dried ones? Yes. Okay? Are they yeah. great? Fresh, better? What's What are we looking for? Not yeah, fresh. It's not necessarily better. I think with spices, okay. they generally hold their potency even in in powder form. I think if you can buy fresh spices and grind them, it's slightly better. But the powders work equally well. Okay, great. Well, that's that's encouraging. And then, if I'm not mistaken, you spell out a lot of these in the book, right? Right. So if folks yep. want if folks want more detail, we're not going to spend the whole time talking about spices. But you're right. There's there yep. are, you talk about a lot of spices in there and how specifically you might use different spices for different effects. Mm-hmm. All right. So spices is a good way that we can work on fortifying our our yes. bodies, I suppose, to kind of fight off right. these infections before they happen. All right. Mm-hmm. Well, let's let's hit it because I think we've we've referenced in our toxins and in our infections, gut health. Mm-hmm. Hit me with the with the gut health. What, what are we looking at here? Yes. So with gut, the focus is what's called the microbiome, which is the 40 trillion bacteria in the gut that regulate your immune system, metabolism, inflammation, and are key for longevity. So it's so important to, to heal and optimize the gut microbiome. And a couple of ways that I like to do that, one is fermented foods, which people are probably familiar with, like yogurt, sauerkraut, and so forth. But what are called prebiotic foods, I think, are lesser known. And a prebiotic is something that feeds these good bacteria. And a lot of people don't know that, but many of these prebiotic foods are uh, really widely available. And so in my book, I list about like 200 different options for, you know, these prebiotic different plant foods. And just choosing what you can tolerate is effective. You don't have to eat all of them. I, my focus is more on adding things into the diet. Like let's uh, focus a little bit less on the elimination because everyone is always trying to take things out. But if you can add in these healthy prebiotic foods, choose some from this list, then you'll go a long way towards healing your gut and boosting the diversity of the microbiome, is, which we know is the key metric that's important in longevity. Because when they've studied centenarians, they found their microbiomes a lot more diverse than other adults. Yeah. And that's what we're looking for here is that longevity, that health, that vitality, obviously. So you mentioned fermented foods, and that's going to give us the probiotic. And that's the bugs. That's the good bugs. Mm -hmm. We want to populate with the good bugs. Then you mentioned the prebiotic, and that's the food for the good bugs. We want to give them things to eat so they can flourish. And some simple things there might be like green bananas, cooled Mm -hmm. starches like rices and potatoes after they've been cooled, a great Mm -hmm. source of of some of these prebiotic foods. We we mentioned, I think, in the when we were talking about infections, you had started to talk about fiber. What's the importance yes. or the role of fiber here for our, a healthy microbiome? Yeah, so there are different types of fiber that feeds different bacteria in the, in the microbiome. So there is what are called polyphenols, which are very rich in certain foods like chestnuts, excellent source, elderberry, blueberry, those are, those are great, flaxseed. And when it comes to vegetables, Olives and capers are actually the highest in these polyphenols. So even more than leafy greens, which are great too. So that's one category. Then there's inulin rich foods, which are things like artichoke, asparagus, leeks. And so what I've gone through is kind of like in the book, you know, each category and what are like a bunch of foods that are examples and, and all of those them, different write them as well, don't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Because that's in the in the literature. So people can mm-hmm. know like, what are the numbers yeah. and, and choose the whatever works for them in terms of the different foods. 
Okay. So when it comes to our gut, then we want to pay attention to obviously what we're eating. So that kind of brings me, let's back up a little bit. We mentioned, you know, we want to eat some of these probiotic foods, want to eat some of these prebiotic foods. We want to make sure we're getting some good, healthy fiber in there. But coming up at the 10,000 foot view, Mm -hmm. you probably see this coming. What's the best diet, right? That's what so Mm -hmm. many people want to know. What should I eat? Because there's so much noise out there in the nutrition community. And for those people who aren't, even for those people who are nutrition experts, it can be difficult to know what's the best diet. What do you recommend Mm -hmm. people at a very high level, or do you have a, a prescription for healthy eating for longevity, vitality, and health? Yeah, absolutely. I think that, you know, my long-term diet kind of aligns with the Mediterranean diet. So I think the emphasis for me on diet is plenty of fruits and vegetables, a lot of legumes and beans, nuts and seeds, whole grains, if you tolerate them, and healthy proteins like fish and, you know, grass-fed meat, pasture-raised chicken. And so I think having a a variety of foods is very beneficial. I think that most people don't get enough of the plant foods. That's the area to try to like emphasize. And in terms of what to avoid, I would just pick one, which is sugar. I think, you know, the more we learn about the effects of white processed sugar, the more we realize how inflammatory it is. And I think trying to minimize that, you know, reserve it for treats, maybe use other better alternatives like stevia or xylitol or honey, I think that is, those are better options. So that's my general recommendation about diet. <laughs> I've got to go out on a limb here and say you'd be very hard pressed to do poorly with that kind of a diet. Because basically what you're right. describing are real whole foods. Yes. And the one thing you said that maybe you might want to consider eliminating is sugar. And let's face it, processed sugar, mm-hmm. we're, we're not eating it by itself. It's usually packaged in those yes. ultra processed very hyper palatable foods that we that are right. easy to overeat, mm-hmm. have a lot of calories and very little nutrition in them. So thank you for sharing that. I, I think that's fantastic advice in terms of what we should eat. Now, when we move to the E in our tiger, mm-hmm. we're talking about yeah. eat right. Yeah. So, and I, and you go into great detail here, you have a phase one, phase two diet, you can be very specific with this, but mm-hmm. when you talk about eat right, I know we just mentioned, hey, kind of a Mediterranean-ish, whole foods, avoid sugar. Are there other things we need to know when it comes to eat right? Because I think when you talk about eat right, you're talking about it more from a almost a troubleshooting, right? Yes. To some degree. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, exactly. So I think it works best if we split it up into the phase one diet, which is more of an elimination diet. It's a bit more restrictive. You're eliminating possible food sensitivities. And then the phase two diet is more of the long-term diet like we talked about just now. So I think the problem many people run into is they start with the phase one or a similar elimination diet, and then they stay on that for too long, you know, because I think that is that it's best for no more than three months, two to three months of an elimination where you're doing targeted detox and gut healing. And then if you stay on a restrictive diet for too long, you start to lose some of that diversity of the gut microbiome. And that's the main reason why we need to expand the diet, shift to the phase two diet and start building that microbiome diversity because that's so important for longevity. Yeah, I, I absolutely love that. I thought this section was really fascinating. And, you know, I'll see occasionally the carnivore person out there who's a right. carnivore zealot. Carnivore yep. cured my autoimmune. It, it probably did, but it, right. well, it's not the fact that you're eating 100% meat. I, I mean, look, I'm no doctor, mm-hmm. but I suspect that's not what's happening. I suspect what's happening is you eliminated something that was very inflammatory to right. you. But you've kind of thrown the baby out with the the, the bathwater there because mm-hmm. you did you never went to what you're calling that phase two. You never started yep. reintroducing. And I think a lot of these elimination diets or things like FODMAP diets, right, aren't meant mm-hmm. to be done long term. Yep. They're meant to, hey, I, you know, let me take yep. let me take dairy out and some of these, mm-hmm. let me take soy out. Let me try and take sugar out. Let's see what happens and then slowly reintroducing things. So right. would when we get to that that phase one, you're you're a big fan of that self-experimentation. Let's take some things out, yes. some of these big triggers, the most common triggers, and mm-hmm. then let's slowly reintroduce them. Yep. What are we looking for when we reintroduce these foods? Are we reintroducing mm-hmm. them one at a time? Do we take them all out, put them all back in? How do, what's mm-hmm. our best what's best practices there for go, moving into mm-hmm. a phase one and then transitioning to a phase two that's more this long-term healthy diet? 
Yeah, I think people need a lot of guidance on, on how to do that. So I have a eight-week reintroduction protocol in the book where I talk about you want to start with reintroducing the less inflammatory foods. And then towards the end of the eight weeks, that's when you consider potentially more inflammatory foods like dairy or gluten, which you know may not work for everyone. And ones, yeah. yeah. And so I generally recommend like one food every three days or so. So it's about like two foods per week. So you can really be systematic and keeping a food journal. And then you're tracking all symptoms, looking at, you know, energy, joint pain, skin, sleep, because food sensitivities are not food allergies where it's like your lip swells up and, you know, it's kind of obvious. Food sensitivities can be more subtle. And that's where tracking your symptoms and keeping a food log can help with that process. Okay, fantastic. Thanks. All right. So we are coming into the home stretch here. The R is mm -hmm. for rest. And I think when rest, what you're going to talk about is more that recovery mode of things, mm -hmm. right? Let's right. talk to us about rest. Yeah. So I think that, you know, with that rest to counteract the stress of modern life, there's many different ways to approach it. So for me, I'm a big fan of meditation and there's great research now showing that meditation lowers inflammation and also changes the structure of your brain. It helps you grow new brain cells in your gray matter and your white matter. It helps your hippocampus to actually get bigger. And that's the part of the brain that handles stress. So that's why meditation makes you more resilient. So we know that as we age, the brain tends to shrink. So meditation is a great way to counteract that age-related what's called atrophy. But it's not for everyone. Not everybody likes meditation. The research shows there's a lot of other ways that are effective to tackle stress, such as psychotherapy, counseling, prayer for some people, gratitude practices, forgiveness practices, yoga or tai chi, connecting with nature. So there are a lot of options. I think you have to find what appeals to you and something you enjoy and something you can do regularly. That's the, the key thing. Yeah, something you can integrate in your life and make it a yes. part of your everyday practice. What we're trying to overcome here, I believe, is mm -hmm. chronic stress. Is that right? I mean- Exactly. Our bodies are evolutionarily hardwired to respond to stress. And they, I think it's fair to say that my biology doesn't know the, the difference right. between me, you know, walking around a tree and there's a saber tooth tiger going to attack mm -hmm. and me being mad at traffic or yes, exactly. know, being, being triggered by a, an argument with my spouse or something. Right. So right. just work stress and life stress and traffic stress and all of these things are additive. And even yes. they even, even your good stresses, right. Your cold plunges mm -hmm. for you folks that are in on that craze right now. And your, right. your, your intense workouts, those are stresses and they, your body stacks them all up. Right. And so we yep. need some way to out recover that. Is that fair? Yeah, exactly. And, and all those things contribute to that what's called a fight or flight response, which is your sympathetic nervous system that is, it's hardwired to keep you alive, you know, in those situations, like for many millions of years ago, but now it's counterproductive because like you said, so many things trigger that sympathetic. So the common thing with all of these stress reduction techniques we talked about is the, there's an antidote called a parasympathetic nervous system in your body. And all those practices activate that. And that's what you need to recover and rest and counteract stress. Yeah, that's that rest and digest system, yes, right? We, exactly. we all want to figure out how to get into there. Now, you had mentioned a lot of modalities there. You had mentioned some of my favorites, right? Meditation, mm -hmm. prayer, gratitude, journaling, having some sort of a, a being present. Yep. We had a guest on who talked about the power of awe, awe mm -hmm. AWE, and he talked yes. about micro, micro dosing mm -hmm. meditation, basically, or mindfulness, mm -hmm. which was kind of a neat way of integrating it into his life. But what about the what about sleep? Is sleep an important mm -hmm. part of the recovery protocol? Oh, huge. Yeah, I mean, huge part because sleep is when your body does a lot of the detox, like brain detox and also the liver. So sleep is important for reducing the risk of all chronic diseases, autoimmune diseases included, but also key for longevity. So that's a huge emphasis as well. You know, I think that I didn't include it in the acronym TIGER, but I believe sleep is so fundamental. I, I think we could put it in there with rest. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it fits, it fits in true. there nicely. Yeah. Okay. Right. Well, Dr. Achilles, we're wrapping up here. What's what's next for you? I know you just got this book launched. What's What's on the horizon mm -hmm. for you? 
Yeah, so my hope is to create kind of a movement where people with immune disorders can come together to help change how we think about autoimmunity and how we we treat this and also how we prevent it. Because, you know, studies show that autoimmune disease is developed slowly, develops over 20 or 30 years. Sometimes you can see changes in the blood very early and then, you know, 25 years later with certain diseases, they show up. So that's why in older adults, you know, the more time goes on, there's that potential risk of autoimmunity. And the same things we've been talking about, these five root causes, they will prevent autoimmune disease. So I want people to kind of take a proactive approach and stay healthy and prevent chronic disease. Okay. Well, thank you for that. And I can think in my own family, certainly there are people that are, that have struggled with autoimmune issues and they don't have Mm -hmm. a community. They don't have a good source of information Mm -hmm. for prevention and treatment, et cetera. So Mm -hmm. I love that you're doing that again, folks. The name of the book is the tiger protocol an integrative five-step program to treat and heal your autoimmunity. And Dr. Keel, where can people learn more? Where would you like to send people to learn more information about you and this message? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there's a couple of websites. One is thetigerprotocol.com. So you can go there to learn more about the book. And then the the second is my website, which is drakil.com, D-O-C-T-O-R-A-K-I-L.com. And I've put together a bunch of discounts and bonuses for people who order the book. So that's available through both of those websites. Fantastic. And you are Dr. Akil on all the socials, I believe, as well. Is that right. correct? Exactly. Okay, fantastic. And folks, I'll drop all of that into the show notes. You can find that there. Dr. Akil, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show today, sharing your knowledge and your wisdom with us. And I just mm-hmm. encourage you to keep up the great work. Oh, thank you so much, Kevin. My pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. Okay, that's our show for today, folks. If you've enjoyed this podcast, I want to let you know that we have other free resources over at silveredgefree.com. There you'll find our free guides with our top tips on nutrition, exercise, and healthy lifestyle to assist you in your weight loss and fitness journey. So feel free to head over there and download anything that looks useful to you. I'll put the links to everything we talked about in the show notes, and you can find those over at silveredgefitness.com slash 190. As we wrap up our time together today, you can show your support for this show in two important ways. The first is to tell a friend about this podcast and encourage them to give it a listen. The second is for you YouTube folks to click the like and subscribe buttons and for you podcast folks to consider giving this podcast a five-star review on whatever platform you listen to podcasts on and be sure to subscribe and follow so you don't miss any future episodes. I really appreciate you spending your time with me today and until next time, Stay strong.